0: a number one best-selling author whose whole life has been about supporting people to achieve personal empowerment, helping people just like you recognize that they can. Hello there, this is
1: Gina Gardner and I'm your host on Passionate World Radio. Thank you very much for joining Rachel Davidson, my good friend and I, on our chat today. Both of us are international best-selling authors and we are going to be talking about labels. So, what labels do you give yourself? What labels do other people give you? And what do we actually mean by labels? Um, I know one of the labels that you would give yourself is that of author. Yes, happily. One that you'd be very happy to give. (laughs) Yes. You're a parent. You're a, um, a, a wife. You're a daughter. You're a twin. Yes. We have so many labels, and a lot of those labels would be very and constructive.
2: Yeah, just related to roles
1: yes. that, that you play in life. Um. Or to the attributes that we give ourselves or other people assign to us. Yes, The, the number of labels that we have, those which are, we give ourselves and those which are given by other people, I think can have a real power in terms of helping you feel good about yourself, mm-hmm. or owning your own power, mm. or diminishing you, making you feel that you are less.
2: Yes, because certain labels, certain um, adjectives that get applied to you in life can, um, by yourself or by others, um, can often end up feeling like little prison cells, can't they? They can indeed. That because you are labelled as such, um, you can't sort of step out of those boundaries without there being some kind of consequence, some kind of backlash or whatever. And so you begin to inhabit a very small space that yes. this label allows you to, and, and um, I mean, obviously ultimately if you really take that logic to, to its extreme, um, you're going to, you know, reduce your life to, to just the limits of what that particular word means to you. So I have uh, lived with a label um, of
1: duty and responsibility. Yes, Hmm. and I think many are dutiful and responsible in terms of the label. I think it's interesting how often we take on the labels that we're given, and I think I have to say that parents and teachers are particularly, I was going to use the word guilty, but that seems too pejorative, Mm -hmm. and there's another label for you, (laughs) Um, but it's done unconsciously. And I think, let's start with the labels that we give ourselves first, because I think this is a conversation that's quite far-reaching, and if we structure it to initially think about the labels that we give ourselves. And one of the tests that I use when I'm working with people is I ask them to give me five words that would describe who they are, or the attributes that they have. And okay. I would ask them initially to give me five positive ones. Yes. Now, m- my experience is that the vast majority of people struggle to find five positive ones. Yes. But then, if I ask them to find five negative ones, they say, oh, that's easy, and can give me ten times that number. Yes. So, think <laughs> about yourself. How would you describe you? And think about the roles how you describe, and those tend to be quite neutral, like wife, mother, husband, um, boss, worker, team member, and so on. Uh But then think about the attributes that you have, or the capacities that you have, your ability, Um, and then I think things get much more tricky. Yeah,
2: I think when you start to uh, walk closer to the area of complimenting yourself by giving yourself certain labels, then there is... Um, is it a society pressure? or well, I don't know what's inside of us. Maybe it's a gender thing. I don't know if you find that women find this harder than men in your experience.
1: Well, it's interesting because I think there's a cultural thing. Mm. Um, we, particularly in the UK, are brought up to believe that it, it's boastful, yes. arrogant yes. to acknowledge your positive things. Yeah, there, there are phrases in our culture, aren't there? Of you know,
2: getting too big for your boots and um, Absolutely. getting above yourself, getting above your station in life. Yes. And all these
1: sorts of comments. And itself. I think that comes from a long history of people being very status in terms of where they are in the picking order. Uh-huh. If you go to America, and I'm generalising now, we're talking about you know vast numbers of millions of people. <laughs> yeah. But it seems much more culturally acceptable for people to be able to own their own abilities. And in many ways to err on the side of, at least publicly, um, making the most of those. Yes. Interestingly, when I've worked with American clients, very often that's a front. Yes, And when you start to talk to them, the labels that they give to themselves inside their
2: head yes.
1: are very different. Yes, um, And so that adds to the pressure, um, although I believe this is a universal pressure, that people believe that they'll be found out for their true situation. And of course, it's never a positive one. You know, people no. think that, you know, I'm a manager, I'm a leader... But actually if people realise that I'm flying by the seat of my pants, that I you know, because it's all an illusion. Yes. And it's gonna come crashing down like a pack of cards.
2: Yes, because because there is the dark side to the to the ego, to the id, isn't there? Yes. Because when you're inside yourself and you understand how stressful you're actually feeling this and even though you're putting on a good show on the yes. front and, and everybody's looking at your glossy Instagram account and you know, or your T V interviews and they're thinking really well but inside you're like oh my goodness I'm just holding on and what's the next question going to be and I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a mistake I'm going to make yeah. this look so stupid um, and because we have got that internal conversation and that uh, landscape on ourselves that's why I think it's so much easier for us to go to the negative side and describe all of the mm. stupidity of
1: ourselves well then you're making sure the expectations of you are not too high mm. that you um, are in some way, making it more difficult for you to fail more, yeah. because in a sense you've already agreed that you failed to some extent, yeah, and in that failure, paradoxically, there is a sense, well, anything I do above this is going to be seen as a success. Yes, now, of course, I believe this is all at an unconscious level. yeah, I don't think people generally speaking work those things out and do them deliberately, although there may be a few people who do it.
2: No, I mean I agree with you. I think it is I think it's it's like naturally innate and I, you have to get to a point I can remember as a teenager somebody saying to me, Why why would you say that about yourself yeah. when you would approach a stranger who you're never going to meet again and be that rude to them? You would be polite and considerate yeah. to that person's emotions and feelings, but you're not that Polite and
1: consider to your own emotions and feelings. We've talked a lot, haven't we, about being your own best friend. And yeah. I think if we treated ourselves as we would a valued friend, mm. no better, mm. but no worse. Mm. I think everybody would have a much uh, happier, um, more productive life because so much less time would be spent on that internal voice beating you up. Yes.
2: yes. Now,
1: I think one of the problems is that we see... That owning ourselves, our power, as if you can't all be positive, Mm -hmm. then then you're not powerful. But for me, a lot of the power actually exists in accepting Mm -hmm. that we are flawed in the sense that we all have areas for development. We all have strengths, and we all have levels that we feel are weaker, and, and some... Feel that that is a weakness. Yes. Now, we've talked about Superman before, haven't we? Yeah. Now, Superman was a character that was drawn without the um, the problem with kryptonite to start with. Yeah. He was limitless. And and nobody liked him. Yeah. People didn't relate. It's too far distant from the human condition.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, what was the point of reading about this this character? That no matter what was thrown at him in life, he always managed to find a way to. It was boring. Yes. The story was boring. He needed to have tension and limits in order for that to become interesting to the human psyche.
1: <laughs> and I think, for if you put that into the human um, situation, um, that tension is where growth happens. Yes, that's if you like the growth plate on the bone is where the yes. tension is. Yes, and you know if everything in life was was easy and and everybody felt um that everything is perfect—it's a bit like Stepford Wives. There is no growth. There is no colour um, to, to life. It, it no, comes I by mean, it, nothing. It's the
2: definition of a flat line, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And and you just don't see that in nature. You just well, you do in in terms of depth and, yes. and you know trans, massive transformation. Um, but you, you, the sine wave is such a—it's a, a dynamic, isn't it? It's thing. actually moving. Yeah. In order to have the ups, you have to have a return of yes. uh, of the low in order to then drive the up. So, so you have to. Ha- this is where yin and yang comes from. Yes. This is where the sense of, of balance, the the treading the fine line between, you know, having high emotions, being able to compliment yourself yes. and celebrate all of the positive labels, versus being comfortable and acknowledging um, the the more negative emotions and the more negative labels that you're more likely to apply to yourself then. Because
1: the interesting thing about when you acknowledge those areas of yourself that perhaps you don't like, mm. then what you're doing in that acknowledgement is giving yourself permission to do something about it. Yes. Whereas when you deny those things yes. or you wallow in them yeah. and feel that you have no power to do anything about it, yes. you stay stuck. Yeah. I think it's worth, you know, talking about how, for me, there's a, a huge difference between the, vic- uh, the label of victim mm-hmm. and the label of vulnerable. Yes. So, for me, a victim is where you take no responsibility for what's going on. It's all somebody else's fault. Yes. And that you, there is some positive um, reinforcement in staying stuck. Yeah. That, you know, that there is no real will to actually get out of that stuckness. Yes. Whereas when we're vulnerable, for me being vulnerable is about being authentic and honest, Mm. being genuinely who you are. And we've all got vulnerabilities. Mm. You know, we have our version of kryptonite, um, and being able to say to another person that you trust, that, you know, I'm not dealing with this very well, or I'm feeling um, scared or lonely or whatever. Yeah but in a way that doesn't expect the other person to put it right for you, but is just acknowledging that this is something that you're finding difficult.
2: Yeah, and Breno Brown's research on this, she talks about, um, uh, well, she starts off with researching shame, does not she? Yes. And then yeah. she moves to Vulnerability, and, and she she says that within the cohort of her research, the people who are most comfortable with the concept of being vulnerable, yes. in that they acknowledge the positive yes. ups and the negative downs that they
1: experience in life
2: are referred to as wholehearted, yes. meaning that they ha- their hearts are whole.
1: Just they to sort of emphasise it, embraced all of them.
2: Yeah, and that yeah. those who try to deny or turn away or hide yeah. from from all aspects of their hearts yes. um, could not be described as as that. Could not be described as, as having a balanced and therefore a greater chance of uh, a happy,
1: contented. Life. If you're denying part of you, or you're berating part of you, or um, constantly criticizing that part of you, yeah. disown or wishing it, to disown it, yeah. you can't be whole. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't lots of things that you can do if there are areas of yourself that you um, would rather were different. Yeah. It just gives you the opportunity, a platform to say, "I'm going to do something about it."
2: Because so everything. far
1: as you can, and if you can't do something, with them, for example, let's use disability.
2: Yeah, yeah people yeah.
1: dis their ability. Yeah, whether they are able-bodied or not. Yeah, but if you are unable, you can't walk. For example, then maybe it. And it, it, there's no choice in that, that that's a physical reality, mm. then accepting that you can't walk without making yourself as a person feel lesser, Yeah, I think is important. Yeah. yeah. But I look at how many people diss their ability. I'm stupid. I'm not worthy. I'm not rich enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too short. I'm too tall. Yeah. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not sexy enough. Yeah. In that dissing of their ability, they're giving themselves those negative labels yes. and taking that on as their identity.
2: Yeah, now the the, um, the people who don't like PC language might might stand and criticise and sort of say, well, you know, it is you know just whether you use disability or or less able or whatever, it's still the same thing. But it's interesting, isn't it, in the sense of the empowerment that you give to yourself with yeah. those labels. Yeah. So a small example of my daughter, she's always had a slightly strange pencil hold. Yeah. I tried very hard when she was, in, uh, you know, first starting school to get her to hold the pencil in a more formal, or traditional way. Yeah. And um, but she refused, and the teachers at school, you know, they tried, they tried. Yeah. But she refused. She's now got to the point where she's really getting into her art, and she's discovering that if she if she holds the pencil the way she normally holds the pencil, then she's not capable of some of the fine art techniques yeah. as easily as others. Now. Uh, there was a moment when she was describing this to me and I felt a great deal of parental guilt rise that I hadn't tried hard enough I had yes. forced her to hold the pencil yes. but I know the reality of, of what I did and I, then I thought to myself hang on a minute if she is really, really keen on, on being an artist and achieving these skills then <coughs> I only have to go and Google and there are some brilliant artists out there who do not have hands who paint with their toes yeah, with their, their mouths. mouths yes um, I wish I could name a few of them but the names typically have flown out of my head <laughs> but um, if those people can cope with the limitations that their physicality gives them and still produce great art yeah. then I really don't think that my daughter with a slightly conky hand holding on the pencil has actually got that much to worry about she just needs to get to that point in her head where she says okay, I've given myself a slightly difficult route to walk down there. Yeah. I wish I'd taken the other one but I haven't, I'm here, so what am I going to do about it? Yes. So she can peel off that label of, oh, I've got a terrible, yes. and I can't do art. And she could replace it with another label, couldn't she? Which
0: and says,
1: more importantly for me is instead of being a victim to that circumstance, this, yes. so that she actually takes control of it and accommodates in a way that works yes. for her.
2: Yeah. Seeks out other people who yeah. have perhaps are, are worse off than her, maybe. Or, you know, But seeks out a way. Yes. And it's there. It is there to find. If all you have to do is change that language in your head to say...
1: But isn't it interesting how often people take on those labels as their identity? Yes. yes. And I think that's where it becomes dangerous. If you give yourself a positive identity, mm. fine. But if that label of wonky hand or... You know, not great artist, actually, then means that you think, well, there is nothing I can do about it. I'm stuck with that. Yes. Um, and that's how you view yourself. Then it becomes a very negative thing. Yes. Uh, but ultimately, it can also act as the motivation and spur to do something better. Yes. Um, but it's what's going on in your head. It's how you view yourself. Yeah. And we've talked on a number of occasions, both on the programme and outside the programme, of how often people's language gives them a sense of identity, which is negative.
2: Mm.
1: So illness is a great example. My depression, my illness, my anxiety, my whatever. And when that becomes so ingrained as the way that they speak about themselves, yeah they see that as who they are yeah and that takes away the the capacity to deal with it effectively yeah because there's no separation you know you're not your disability you're not your headache you're not your depression Mm. you're you and you are managing um, a particular condition and Mm. when you have that separation then you're in a much better place to to act, to do something, or to react, if you can't change it, to react in a much more constructive and positive way. Yes. So let's look at, at the labels that other people give us. Mm-hmm. Because we're often within a family, you know, given a, a label of the clever one, the pretty one, mm-hmm. the messy one, the... Um, the musical one. Yeah, like and actors on a stage performing certain roles and characters. And so what <laughs> happens is that young children start to, if they hear it often enough, they start to live up to that label. Yes. In the same way that teachers will give children a label of you're the disruptive one, you're the class clown, "Yeah," you're the SWAT. Yeah. And of course children follow suit. Yes. And they've got labels for one another. Yeah. And again, the danger is that those become the reality of the perception that we see of ourselves and other people treat us in that particular way, which then feeds that particular habit.
2: Yes. And again, you know, that, that there can be some very positive labels. Oh, yeah. And you yeah. you sort of get given them and you think, oh, really? That's me. And then oh, that's, that's wonderful. And you live
1: up to it and exceed it and whatever. Absolutely. The expectation becomes your reality which reinforces the expectation and so the reality becomes more entrenched. I mean there was an experiment done um, in schools in the 1950s, they'd never get away with it Mm. (laughs) now, where they told teachers, they they, uh, divided the year group, three classes, and so far as they were able to test, they made three absolutely even classes in terms of ability. They told teacher A, you've got the high flyers, push them. Yes. They told teacher B, you've got an average sort of class. Yep. And they told teacher C, I'm afraid you've got those who've got special needs, do your best. Yeah. At the end of the year, they tested them. Yeah. And it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. That those that have been in the A class, they've, done, they've they'd exceeded norms
0: yeah. hugely. Yeah.
1: And the C class indeed had... Fallen behind and they were not doing very well. Yeah. Now, the following year, they brought in new teachers who knew nothing about this experiment, yeah. and they um, again said to them about the class's ability. Class C became the A, A became the C, and their control group in the middle were average. Yes. Once again, what happened? Yeah. Self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Same children, different expectations. Now, parents will have expectations of their children. Teachers have expectations. Bosses have expectations. Yeah. Partners have expectations. Yeah. And what will happen is that people will live up to those or down to those expectations if those are constantly put in place.
2: Yeah, because um, if you have a thought in your mind, yeah, that then and you and you are willing to, you know, accept that thought, yes. then you start to make it happen. In, don't you? you start to use the language that yes. relates to that thought and then you start to behave in a certain yes. way and so so suddenly it's not just something that oh somebody might be thinking it's actually they're putting in structures that limit absolutely you. So, so now you've got no choice but but to you know butt up against these things and have a tougher life or or to accept it and so this is this is how this is how society's place control yes. upon us. This is this is how great wars happen. Yes. This is because somebody somewhere has started with a thought yes. and run with it and made it
1: real. So look at it in the context of um, partnerships <coughs> where one partner doesn't trust the other. Yeah, yeah. Now they may have absolute reason not to trust, but often jealousy and lack of trust is not about what's real. Mm-hmm. It's about the insecurity that one of the partners has, mm. they then start to work, uh, operate in a way where they don't trust, yeah. where they are constantly checking up. Yeah. And, you know, I've worked a lot with couples, and often the, the couple on the receiving end of that gets to the point, well, I might as well do something. Might as, well, something yeah, might as that... well be killed for the sheep as well as the lamb. And so <laughs> the, they are almost driven into this channel, mm. which I, the other person... Behaved in a way and said, "Well, I trust you. Why wouldn't I trust you?" Mm. Um, and behaved in that way that that other person may very well have lived up to that expectation. Mm-hmm. Uh, expectation. Mm. Now, if you've got proof that somebody's not trustworthy, that's a very different thing. Mm, yeah, but yeah. I'm talking about the the where it's much um, around um, a way of not trusting anybody, and ultimately that demonstrates that you don't trust yourself. Yeah. Um, so, you know, thinking about the labels, and what I would say to those who, uh, who are, are on this um, program today, think about how do you think about yourself? If I ask you to come up with five words to define what you were as a person, mm-hmm. five positive words, how easy is that yeah. for you? And then come up with a list of five things that you don't like so much about yourself. Now the interesting thing for me is not the five words that you come up with in each um, category, oh. but how easy or difficult you find to yeah. do the exercise. Yeah. Start to think about the people in your life both in your family um, and at work. What are the labels that you are giving those people mm. and how do you then behave Because your behaviour, your language will back up those labels. Yes. Um, And, you know, we were having a conversation, weren't we, about people who are messy. Yeah. And often, oh, that's the messy child or that's the messy partner. And so we, uh, we entrench the habit by allowing it to continue rather than the expectation is, well, it's your own stuff, put it away. Yeah. Uh, you, you
2: know, so especially in family structures, you start to use phrases like "well," you know, she's always what you know, she's always. What like can you that. do? What yeah. can you expect? Yes, yes. You know, Frida will always behave like that, won't she? Oh, yes, that's right. So Frida, and I was watching a, a, a sitcom um, where one of the characters is an extremely intelligent daughter. She's, yes. You know, way above her siblings. Yes. And and so she has an acerbic wit and uh, a very dry, sarcastic. Yes. And she goes away on Christmas holiday with them, and and the rest of the family are sort of goofing and and being slightly idiotic, and she's, of course, very intelligent. She can see everything from her uh, evaluated uh, position. But she she decides that actually that's going to make her very unpopular. She sort of gets a bit of a ghost from Christmas to the future visit. And so she starts trying to be friendly and positive, so she walks into the kitchen and she says, oh, my God, something smells really nice, being sincere. But everyone's like oh stop winding us up you know yes yes we know you hate christmas yeah <laughs> and she was totally even though she was behaving 180 to what she normally did no nobody, nobody believed it. her <laughs> because of the labels that they would got in her their yeah. heads about her because of the labels you know she'd chosen to exhibit yeah
1: and i think <laughs> that's a really good point because we have not we all. The expectation that people will be as they are yeah. means that you'll are then have a pair of glasses on that do, will not um, recognise the changes when they come.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, once, once thoughts turn
1: into words, turn into
2: behaviour, yeah. turn into habits,
1: and that doesn't take long.
2: No, but and once you've got the habits,
1: ninety-five percent um, of what we do is habitual. Yeah. And not only is their behaviour habitual, but your responses are habitual.
2: Yeah, it, it can, it can, it's like turning a tanker, isn't it? It can take yes. a long time for behaviour that people expect of you for them to recognise that you're no longer behaving in that way.
1: And the interesting thing is that people one instant result. So well yes. behaving differently, why haven't you noticed? Yes, yes. And so what I would say to everybody is recognize your own habits and how easily your habits are triggered by other people behaving habitually yes and the other way around Yes. Look at the labels. If they are empowering, if they are helpful, mm-hmm. keep them. Yeah. But if they're not, then I think it's important that you challenge those labels. First and foremost, in yourself. Yeah. You know, the labels that you give yourself often are lifelong. And when you start to examine them, they're a chance remark or a set of remarks made, you know, when you were five. But now you're 55 and half a century later. Yes. You still think of yourself as that five-year-old. Yes. And I think it's important to challenge those. Yes. Um, And also challenge the labels that you have about other people. And have an expectation that you share yeah. um, with other people. And it may be, let me give you an example, and I'll use a school example. We often used to take children in where in other schools they'd been a nuisance, mm-hmm. that they'd been badly behaved, that they weren't working, uh-huh. and they came with a reputation. Yeah. And one of the things that I would say to them is, now is your chance. Yeah. You have a clean slate. We have, are going to give you the opportunity... To do things differently yeah. these are the ba- boundaries this is what we expect from you yeah. and it's up to you now to match those and if they didn't they would get modeled and yep. they would get told for me what was fascinating 99.9% of the time mm. those children changed Yes. their behaviour changed they mm-hmm. knew what was expected of them and they matched it And they disappeared in the sense of not being a problem anymore.
2: Yes. yes. Now,
1: I think it was a number of things that, one, they had the opportunity to change the label that had been given either by the children and or the teachers. Yeah. yeah. But ultimately, one of the things that we worked very hard on was getting children to see themselves um, as being better than that. And so any criticism was, look, I don't like what you're doing, but actually I think you're better than that. Yes. And I don't expect that from you because, well, you're not a silly person. You're not this. Yeah. So now change the behaviours to be that better version of you. Yes. Yes. And I think, you know, what I'd like to leave people with is we each have the power to do that for ourselves. Yeah. And we each have the gifts that we can give to other people yes. of offering them um, positive labels in the first instance, but also if there is a label which is being less helpful, yeah. that you can offer a person the opportunity to change that label by doing it with them and for them.
2: Yeah, because we're talking about labels here. We're not talking about
1: tattoos. No,
2: it's a definite. No, that's choice. wonderful.
1: Actually, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, it's not permanent. Peel a label off and stick another one
1: on. Absolutely. Tattoo is something
2: a little bit different.
1: And even those with a bit of work can be done. Yeah, they can be (laughs) off. So that brings us to the end of today. Um, Rachel's book, The Point of Me, which is a great spiritual novel, is available on Amazon and all good bookshops. Um, You can get a free digital download of my latest uh, best-selling, number one best-selling book, Thriving Not Surviving, The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success and Fulfillment, and lots of free resources are available on the website which is www.genuinely-u.com That's www.genuinely-u.com Giving you um, all our best wishes. Have a great day and we look forward to seeing you soon. Take care now. Bye. This is Gina Gardner from Passionate World Radio
0: saying goodbye and thank you for joining us. You've just been listening to another great Genuinely You podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Genuinely You is a culmination of Gina's work, spanning over 30 years, of helping people learn what makes them feel happy and truly fulfilled, and how to achieve it. Please visit genuinely-you.com today to find out more.